You're listening to Conversion Nations, the podcast that helps conversion optimizers overcome challenges they face with their experimentation programs. Brought to you by Effective Experiments, the workflow and project management software helping optimizers make experimentation a core part of their business. Scale up your testing program with a centralized solution and document all your research, ideas, experiments, and results in one place. Learn more and request your free trial by visiting EffectiveExperiments.com. And now, your host, Manuel DaCosta. Hey, welcome. This is Conversion Nations, the chat show where we talk about conversion optimization. And I'm your host, Manuel DaCosta. And joining me is Chad Sanderson from Subway. Hey, Chad, welcome again. Well, you've taken... You, I'm, I'm doing good, man. You've taken Conversion Nations on the road with you. Uh, you were at CXL. Um, was it last week or two weeks ago now? Uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah. And uh, you, you did a couple of interviews with people like Matt uh, Einarsson and uh, Els as well, if I'm not mistaken. You know, uh, And for viewers out there, if you haven't seen that already, uh, the link should be coming up down below now so that uh, you can go and watch that those interviews that Chad uh, conducted at uh, CXL Live in Austin. Um, there's also the audio versions of the podcast. A lot of people were talking to us about, uh, you know, asking us about the audio versions of the podcast. Uh, so that should also be there if you click the link below somewhere, you'll find that. So tell us how how was CXL? Uh, it was it was great. It was pretty good. It was in uh, in Austin. Austin, Texas is here at uh, Hyatt Regency Lost Pines Resort, some fancy mystical sounding name like that. Um, it's fun, man. It's three days, three, three days. Yeah, the whole thing was booked out. A lot of really great speakers. Uh, like you said, we recorded some stuff. I'm not nearly as good of an interviewer as you are. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully people don't make fun of me too much. Don't flatter me. Don't flatter me. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, any standout sessions from that then for you? Yeah, other well, other than me, um, Els Els had a great one. Um, it was on user research and kind of some of the the uh, best practices for user research and sort of a frame of thinking you should have when going into it. A lot of really interesting stuff. Um, Matt's, you know, um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him is he he had a great one. If you don't know Matt's and Arson, he was formerly at uh, Booking, formerly at Kayak, and uh, he actually just left recently going on a world tour to Spain now or, or something All incredible right. like that. Yeah. Uh, but he had a great one um, running how, how you basically run an experimentation program um, at scale. Some of the things you have to do in terms of teaching people the terms that you need to use, making sure the education gets out there. Uh, Candace Ohm had a really great one. I thought she's like a nerd, like a math nerd, like me. So I I really appreciated that. A lot of a lot of great sessions. Um, Rachel Sweeney from Google had a had a pretty great one about um, integrating machine learning into your optimization processes. If you guys if you get the, if you didn't if you weren't able to do, go and you can uh, get the chance to go to the next one, you definitely should. Uh, we missed you, Manuel. Um, I know I was actually meant to be there and. Things changed at the last minute. It was like the week before when I had to actually change my plans. But, you know, I was there the last year when it was in, in San Antonio. Uh, really good time. Um, and, you know, if for people in Europe who are looking for a similar experience, I highly recommend the one in, in Tallinn, Estonia. The C- uh, well, it's the same company that run it. Uh, and that's called Elite Camp. So check that out as well. I think they've just released tickets for it. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, Candace Ohm, I met her when I was in Austin in January. Really fun person. I was really looking forward to seeing her, her talk. But, you know, things happen. Stuff gets in the way. But, you know, uh, another time. And Els, definitely Els has been, you know, uh, she's been on webinars uh, with me in the past. Uh, she's been at Conversion World as well. She's talked at Conversion World. And you're talking at Conversion World in, uh, next week, right? I am. I am talking at Conversion World. Very excited. Yeah. By the way, if anybody went to um, CXL and they're watching this, it's going to be a totally different presentation. Brand new material coming out. Okay, fresh off the uh, fresh off the grill. You just changed the first slide, haven't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> something something like that. No, well, so what I, what I'm going to do for this one is more of a walkthrough. Um, some of some of the feedback that we were getting not just from CXL, but I spoke at Adobe like two days before I spoke at CXL was um, uh, sometimes you get like a lot of high level stuff and that's good for, for setting frame and setting thinking. Um, but I think a lot of, especially the people that are working with like the smaller businesses, maybe mid-sized businesses really want things that they can kind of sink their teeth into a little bit more. They can like physically go out and do. Um, and sometimes when you're thinking about process from the perspective of a really big brand, like a Subway or a Airbnb or something, sometimes that can get, it can get lost. Like it just doesn't translate over very well to like a small consultancy working with 10 clients. Sure. Now here's, you mentioned Matt's talk as well. And this is really interesting because uh, I put out uh, a post on LinkedIn and I basically said, you know, we've been running conversionations for a while now and, we like to get some audience feedback, right? We're all about optimizing the podcast. So we want to see what people want to learn about. And uh, it got some really good, um, you know, uh, interactions on there. Lots of people liking it, lots of people uh, commenting on it. Uh, and so what, what I want to do is, you know, for the next maybe 15 to 20 minutes, maybe touch on one of those points. And this one comes from uh, Ida Kjeldal uh, from Outfox in Sweden. They're an agency in Sweden. And she's a conversion specialist and skill lead there. Now, she said she's, she'd like to learn more about setting up processes and changing the perception of CRO from being uh, quick design changes to actually the most powerful tool for product development in the discovery phase, perhaps. So that's something, she, you know, I think a lot of people would like to learn about. There's a lot more out there, but I think we'd, we'd have like a four-hour, five-hour session if we covered, you know, every single question. Mm, but yeah. Guys, don't worry. If you have any um, suggestions, we will cover them in, in future shows. But let, let's let's um, dive into this, right? So, approaching uh, uh, stakeholders, you know, and, and teaching CRO to the, the wider team, and maybe some insights from Matt's talk, your own experiences. You know, let, let's jump into this. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good question. Process is always um, it's always it's always it's always tough because it, it depends a lot on what the culture of the business is when you arrive. Um, sometimes you're able to set up a process relatively easy. If you're able to, if you have a lot of autonomy, for example, um, for me with subway, um, one of the things that I, I made it a, made it a point to do as soon as I arrived was to let everybody know from the very beginning, what the purpose of our team really was. Um, and that's not just the people who are uh, direct stakeholders, but that's, that's everybody in the business. Um, sometimes I find that if you go in and you're just working with one particular group, which is pretty often if you're, um, if you're a consultant or something like that, maybe you're working with like the e-commerce group or the marketing group or digital marketing group. Um, sometimes they don't necessarily socialize 
everything that you're doing to everybody else. And so it, it kind of twists the logic a little bit. Um, what I prefer to, is to, the first thing is just to get in front of everyone, everybody important, and say, this is what we're doing in CRO. This is why experimentation is important in general, not just from a perspective of, yeah, we can make you money online, but why it's important to, to think from the perspective of running experiments, because it's just, it's, under, it's quantifying your risk. It's understanding uh, what, how could we possibly have made a mistake whenever we're making a decision. And oftentimes I get a really good response because people don't think about things that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. The, the one thing that I would add there as well is uh, what I've seen with uh, successful implementations of CRO programs is don't try and teach them that stuff, right? Don't try and uh, teach them, here's how we run an A-B test, here's how the, the, the nitty gritty of it. Because let, let's, let's flip this around, right? How much do you know about the operation side of things or about SEO or PPC? You know enough, but you don't really know the nitty gritty about certain things that you're not directly involved in. And it's the same for those stakeholders. You know, they've hired you or they ha they've hired a CRO team because they think that, you know, they're going to print money or, or they're going to achieve X or Y, right? And how do you then go about explaining what you do in a, in a way that doesn't put them to sleep is going to be key. Uh, and a really efficient way, um, uh, I don't know if you, you've tried this out at Subways uh, as well, is, is a testing hackathon. And it's a way of bringing people together from different functions, right? So you can bring a developer, a designer, a stakeholder, and an optimizer together. And then you bring in, create multiple teams with that and just present a problem, get them to creatively solve that problem. And then talk to them about how you're going to validate the, the solution they've come up with. And what you do in that process, you've actually taught them optimization in, in, in a, in a, fun interactive way right and i think i think those kind of methods actually stick but talking to stakeholders is you know it's something you can never underestimate in the company because if you go straight into a new role and you just get on with your work it's going to hit you further down the line and and process again you know we talked about process um i think there's this uh this tendency for people to just go in and say you know i'm just going to get on with it without taking a step back and saying, how is this process going to work? Who's going to be impacted? Who's going to, and, and it's in our nature, right? To get on with what we know best. But I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think as optimizers, um, generally speaking, managing processes or managing stakeholder expectations comes secondary to our knowledge of statistics. Well, yeah, somewhere around that, right? So I think- yeah. Something it can never like be underestimated there. Yeah, and I think, like I mentioned before, I think a large part of it is um, kind of like you said, because you want to set the expectations early, a lot of it depends on what the structure is you're coming into and what your plan is for setting up the, the CRO structure. So, yeah. for example, if, if your goal is to act as the uh, only group or the, sometimes even the only person in the company running A-B tests or doing user research, then the way that you interact with people is going to be really, really different if your job is to facilitate product managers to run their own A-B tests or if your job is to receive A-B tests from other parts of the company that aren't even associated with um, uh, the, the digital division, for example. You know, maybe someone from marketing who 
is on like the uh, on the print marketing side or on they're on the SEO side. They're not something. They're not someone that typically looks at UX changes. Yeah. Maybe they get some idea. Well, if, if that is the model that you want to create then you need to come up with a system that facilitates all those things. And that, and that kind of comes back to process. So I, what I usually think of is the first, the first really important process you need to think about is the communication process. So how, how am I as a lead for optimization going to communicate with everyone who um, my, my experiments are going to affect because there are loads of people, um, everyone who wants to run an experiment, and every and when I say effect, I don't just mean effect in the sense of you know this is ROI, we're increasing some KPI here, but also obviously that's going to be the the IT team. They're going to need to know. Um, all the product managers are obviously going to need to know, and a lot of the marketing team, uh, if there uh, is obviously going to need to know as well. You know if they have some um, interstitial, some pop up or something that they want to run on the homepage for two weeks. And that never makes it down to me. And I've also planned an interstitial for that two weeks. You know, that, that can be some really uh, major problems happening. On conversations after that, right? I mean, yeah, that's the thing. And, and uh, again, this is like coming down to this whole uh, concept of silos within organizations because everyone's operating within their own silos and no one is really knowing what other people are doing. Uh, I remember um, there was a print uh, company that... Uh, I helped a while ago and essentially they were coming up with experiments that completely messed up their operations because it, it, it ended up taking more time to get those prints done because they, they thought they were running a simple test, but it actually had a huge impact on the other department to a point that there was a lot of conflict uh, within that company. And, and that's a prime example where there's no communication and, and uh, the, the, the misconception that you don't really need to communicate what you're doing to the wider company, because that's why something like having like an impact map is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we've got a template, uh, which I'll link below uh, over here uh, around uh, creating the process, the, 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 the flow and also having an impact map. So where each uh, as experiments or ideas come through and, you know, uh, get executed, who's it impacting? Who are the decision makers? Who needs to be informed? Who needs to be communicated with? A good framework as well that I don't know if you come across is the RACI framework, R-A-C-I, which is like responsible, accountable, who needs to be communicated and who needs to be, in, uh, who needs to communicate, who needs to be informed as well. I'll put the link to that template as well below. Really good template to have because uh, at the end of the day, when you're creating a process and you, you know, something like who's responsible for signing off on the QA, for example, right? Is it the devs? Is it the dev lead? Is it someone on the uh, the the you know the the testing side that's gone through the experiment and checked that it's all okay? So you know all those things. So you don't want uh, you know going through a hundred experiments and then realizing crap. You don't really know who's doing what in this process, uh, and that's why like uh, you know that's why I picked this topic because looking at it, uh, it, it's it's something really simple, but something that has a massive impact if you get it wrong further down the line not having a process, not knowing who's responsible for each part of the process. Uh, and that's, if I'm, if I'm honest, it's not a problem uh, only for optimizers. It's a business problem. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading this book called uh, Scaling Up. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, Scaling Up is a, is a book uh, that is for businesses that are looking to scale up. And um, because uh, my company's grown as well, and as a, as a business owner, I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, what do I need to do? 
and what do I need to have in place? And a lot of that is about structures, about processes, repeatable processes that you can't just leave to chance. Because if you leave it to chance, then that whole um, thing about scaling up, whether it's an optimization team or whether it's, a, it's your own uh, business, it kind of starts falling apart because those foundations aren't strong enough. Yeah, yeah. You, I, I think it's when that happens, you start working on approvals and things like that at the micro level. So yeah. let's just figure out how to uh, either get this one test approved or to get this one uh, personalized experience or this one campaign approved. And then it kind of becomes, okay, well, we sort of need a structure around this thing. And then you realize you're going to need to do that in all of these other areas. And then that's usually when people realize that you have a foundational issue. You got to kind of go back to the drawing board, think about how we're going to socialize these things. Um, so, yeah, so I would, I would say that that's, uh, that's, that's definitely probably the first process that somebody should, should need to be concerned with. And, and, like, and like I mentioned, it just depends on what your business structure is. Um, for us, the next process after that, um, if we're moving away from the, the internal structure into the actual testing and the experimentation process, um, we have at, at, at Subway a relatively lengthy uh, ideation process um, for, for a few reasons. We operate at uh, experiments of scale. So our motto is, is quantity before quality. Okay. Um, and the reason, the reason that we do that is because um, the more tests that we're able to run, then the higher the likelihood that a greater percentage of percentage of those are going to win. Um, if we run 20 tests a year that are really, that we think are going to be really good winners, like that's great. Um, but if only 50% of those tests win, then, then we have, then we have 10 winners. But if we run 500 tests a year that win and 10% of those are winners, then we have, you know, we have, we have 10 times the amount of winners basically. Well, um, a, ca a caveat here is that you have the luxury of really the traffic, right? Correct. So, right. Um, and this also kind of like goes back to what Andrew spoke, you know, a couple of episodes ago about, um, you know, hypothesis driven, you know, if you want to, uh, revisit that, uh, if, if you're listening right now, link in the show notes, uh, go and have a listen to that and come back to this as well. Then go on, Let, let's continue with your point then. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the next thing you need to figure out is what is that optimal? How much should you be doing, uh, basically? And how do you, how do you, um, not only prioritize, but how do you come up with ideas at the scale that you want, right? There needs to be some type of process based around that. For at a, at a larger company, um, we need to think about, we have a lot of different products that we service. So like I mentioned before, we need to think about our, is it just our team that's exclusively coming up with ideas? Is it all teams? If it's all teams, then what is the technical method that we're going to use to facilitate that? Um, are we going to have a person whose sole job it is to receive these requests, understand if they're viable or not, and then figure out how to put those into our backlog? Are we going to give everybody who's submitting a test access to our tool and train them on how to implement the, the test themselves? Um, right, there's a, there's a lot of different possibilities that we can use. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's it, obviously if you're a smaller business, if you're, or if you're a consultant, then you need to come up with something similar and figure out if you're going to prioritize the, the tests that you as a consultant are, are running and kind of put your stock in that and say, you know, 
these are the tests that I believe are going to win and then and hope that you build them well enough that they win or say like our job is to take the ideas that you already have that exist and translate those into into something more meaningful. Gotcha. Yeah, process, processes are you know quite interesting as well because there's this whole aspect about optimizing your process as well. Uh, but optimizing your process requires you to document it correctly. So, you know, like uh, there's that if this, then that rule, right? If, if it's a larger company, who's doing it? What's the criteria if it goes to person A or person B? Or what's the rules in terms of prioritization? Who has that final say as well? You know, again, I'll go back to that RASI framework. It's really useful in something like this. It's just so it avoids conflict further down the line. You set these foundations correctly, and then you're priming yourself up for scale. Um, the, 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 the flip side is if you don't do this now when you're small, you know, the, the, the tendency is like, yeah, we're small. We don't need all this, these processes. They're just holding us back. Yes, they might slow you down right now, but they will slow you to a, to a standstill when you try to scale up. And that's the trade-off we need to figure out. You know, we need to help people figure out. Um, have you had like any process efficiency problems? when you were scaling up or like um yeah 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 there, i i think there is and i i think uh, we've we've personally had them um i've worked with a few larger businesses and we, we sort of i ran into the same things over and over again and so that's where i kind of had to make some changes to um deal with the patterns we were seeing but as you're as you're scaling out your program at a larger business where there's a lot of people, part of scaling it out is also socializing what you're doing and getting more people involved. Yeah. And when that happens, you really have to think about how your team is going to be structured. If you structured your team in the beginning to be an optimization team, like we have two analysts and two developers and you know, we have a test manager and a UX designer and it's and it's our job to create all the tests and run the tests and analyze the tests. Well, as you're scaling and you're starting to get, you know, 10 test requests from each product manager a month, is it feasible to have that same team structure anymore? So that's, that's one of the things that we were encountering sort of starting off in the beginning as, as a relatively small team um, that, that people really didn't understand optimization. They didn't really understand A-B testing. And then once they started to see the effects of it and how quickly we could get things out compared to, you know, going through a IT backlog or something, then we became way more used. Like the, the amount of volume we were doing, just it, it, it increased exponentially. And so we had to take a step back and say, is, is the structure that we have in place going to be most efficient for the future? Um, and we had to do a change. Yeah. And at what point did you uh, did you realize that? Like, was that fairly early on, fairly late? Because I, I, you know, I've come across companies that are already planning ahead. They're like, okay, you know, we, we're doing X amount of experiments right now. We want to reach that level, but we know that we're going to hit a threshold at some point in the next three or four months. We need to hire more people. And then there are others that simply just, you know, go along the motions until they hit that brick wall. So at what point did you figure out that uh, you needed change uh, in your structure yeah so we do we do velocity forecasting it's one of the things that our team is responsible for is essentially looking at how how many requests have we received in any given time frame and based on that where do we predict that number of requests kind of 
you know, tapering off, like, where's it going to be in six months? Where's it going to be in a year? Where's it going to be in two years? If the volume stays relatively similar, because the other thing that we had to consider is that it wasn't just our team that was growing. All the product teams are growing. We're adding new products all the time. Right. Um, more people are becoming aware in different departments and leveraging, leveraging us there. And what we saw pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty early on, I think about six months in is that we were going to be hitting the, the thresholds that we set a lot earlier than we than we thought we would right. um and it was it was increasing at a, at a rate that was just way way too fast for us to keep up we were saying you know in in another eight months or so our team was going to be underwater based on what we had uh what we had originally uh, staffed for um and so then it was kind of back back to the drawing board but i, I think a big part of that was because we Whenever you're, whenever you're introducing something like CRO to a business, you don't really know how it's going to be taken. Um, sometimes you may have people that say, yeah, this is, this is a really awesome tool, but you guys are the masters, you know, you're the scientists, and so really it should stay with you. And if we have any one-off requests, then we'll go to you. But then on the other hand, you may get people who say, this is, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And now we want to just test everything all the time, which, which is awesome. I mean, it's, it's where you want to be. That's what Facebook is doing and Airbnb and places like booking.com, yeah. um, which is where they're seeing this exponential growth from. So, of course, we wanted to motivate people to do that. Um, but su successfully motivating someone to do that is, um, was the, the goal. Uh, we just didn't think we'd get there as early as we did. So let's, let's try and wrap up with this motivating people, right? So you talked about motivating people to everyone's goal is to make you know experimentation a big part of their of their culture right you talked about booking you talked about airbnb facebook they're democratizing data they're making it easily available for anyone to experiment how do people get there right you, you so let's let's give a few um tactics or strategies for people that listen that are listening or watching this that they can go away and implement i, I you know i mentioned yeah. one with the testing hackathon what what do you have uh, that you can share uh, to our listeners, Chad? So when the when the velocity is low, um, I would recommend trying to implement just about every test that people suggest, um, unless it's something that that is is just crazy out there and it's really gonna like it's gonna break the site or something like that. Um, no matter how small it is or no matter how stupid it is, I I always recommend if someone asks you to build a test. Uh, especially when your team is uh, relatively small in scale to do it um, because that, that first feeling that someone has of saying, I want to make a change on a website and then they see it within a week or two weeks or whatever it is. And then they're able to get real data about it is a, is an experience. It's a feeling that most people within the company haven't had ever. Um, and then they're able, once they see that, they say, wow, I can, I can do this. Even if there's no result, even if it was a dumb test and nothing happens now, the, the gears are starting to turn. So yeah, I, I submitted something that didn't work, but next time I'm going to do this. And next time I'm going to do this. So that's, that's, that's one thing. The second thing is to regularly talk to people about what they could be testing. Um, a lot of times people just don't realize what it's possible to experiment on. Or, or maybe where, where it's possible to experiment. That's something that, that we've been doing a lot in the offline testing environment. Um, some people haven't realized that Subway, that Subway is relatively unique because it has a ton of offline stores and those stores get a ton of traffic. And so we can essentially run A-B tests in the offline environment and we can work with people who are not directly involved with digital and say, 
think of things that you want to test that otherwise you just would have made a change. Uh, maybe it's the lighting structures. Maybe it's, it's altering the color on a digital menu board. Um, if you have the capability of, of creating a controlled group and a treatment group, we can do an A-B test and we can validate and we can quantify those decisions. So it's, it's actively going to people, taking an active role in the education and not just sitting back and waiting for someone to come to you with ideas. It's looking at a product and oftentimes what I see CROs do is they'll look at some particular piece of a funnel and say, okay, we, we need to improve this part of the funnel. And then maybe they'll go to a product manager and they'll give the project manager that idea and wait for some kind of sign off. What really they should be doing is having like a biweekly meeting or something with that product manager, going through a list of ideas and then trying to get some feedback and say, okay, based on what we've showed you, where else are you seeing test ideas? And again, it's that execution phase that gets people more bought in. Yeah, I think it's, it's the, the, the visibility of seeing that their ideas are actually accepted and utilized and they're making an impact, right? I mean, uh, if you're just giving ideas on pieces of paper, or in meetings and nothing's being done about it, that feedback loop is so important, you know, because again, if you want to uh, get experimentation uh, introduced to a wider group of people that don't necessarily know or care about it, this is how you do it, right? That's the perfect way of doing it. Uh, so cool. We're going to wrap up on this. Um, uh, Chad, again, pleasure having you on here. Uh, all our previous episodes of Conversion Nations are also available on the link below. You can, you can uh, get the audio versions or watch the video versions of the episodes. Uh, we're going to be covering a whole raft of topics over the next few weeks. Uh, we've got Conversion World coming up uh, and if you are watching this in the future, time traveler, then uh, you can also check out Chad's talk uh, that he delivers at Conversion World. Uh, but hopefully see you sometime uh, next week, same time, same place, or on demand. But yeah, pleasure joining you, uh, pleasure uh, having you on, and thank you for listening, watching. Keep your comments coming on, uh, and hit us up on LinkedIn. Have a nice day. Bye. You've been listening to Conversionations. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified when we release new updates. Conversionations is brought to you by Effective Experiments. Want to make experimentation a core part of your business? Request your demo and let us show you how we can help you grow your testing program.